Welcome back. It's Chase and Josh with Factor Fantasy. That's Chase and I'm Josh. And we are here to give you episode 5 in season 3 of The Mandalorian here today. Last week, Chase took us through a pretty cool episode, episode 4 there in season 3 of The Mandalorian. Got to see some cool creatures, got to learn a little bit about Grogu's backstory. We got to see Bo-Katan, how she's helped out the Covert. So real great stuff. If you haven't checked out that episode, go listen right now before you take a listen here today. But uh, I will be the one guiding us through episode 5 here. Before I do, I'm going to turn the floor over to Chase to say a few words, and then we're going to get started. Yeah, man, let's get it. we got some good stuff today. Keep diving on this path here in the Star Wars galaxy far, far away. <laughs> let's make it happen, man. Take it away. Sounds good. Let's get the glasses in the air. Cheers up to the uh, fantasy world of fantasy fiction, man. That's why we're here, right? Cheers, brother. All right, to start off, this episode starts with a ship landing at Navarro, and we are following Magistrate or High Magistrate Grief Karga, and they are talking about some level of city planning when he hears his citizens outside start screaming. And it turns out the pirate Corsair is in the air, and it's manned by Gorian Shard, and he calls in through the hologram. And Gorian Shard threatens to shoot first, Grief Cargo warns him that might not be the best idea since Navarro is under the protection of the New Republic, but Shard tells Cargo that from his understanding, Navarro is actually an independent planet with no protection coming, and that he's not going to be able to bluff his way out of this one. So Gorian Shard tells Cargo not to hail him again unless it's to surrender, and Cargo motions to the. And so at that point, uh, Grief Cargo motions to his droid and puts something in it, and then the scene shifts to outside, and the pirates. And Gorian Shard and his like minions are blasting the fuck out of a Navarro from the Corsair ship. Cargo won't flee though. He plans to lead his people to safety. And right as uh, they d- determine whether he's going to surrender or not, the title sequence hits. And from that point, the scene moves uh, to a bar. And if you guys remember this guy, his name was Captain Teva. And he was the guy... In I believe it was episode one of season two of The Mandalorian where they got trapped with the ice spiders and he ended up getting Din Djarin free even though technically he wasn't really supposed to do that and that's going to come into play a little bit here in this episode. But that captain, he comes back in, he's like sitting at a bar uh, and he's, he's with the New Republic and he's there having a drink and the bartender tells him that there's a message for him. So Captain Teva plays a hologram message, and it's Grief Karga telling him that Navarro is under attack from Gorian Shard. He's requesting help, but he's afraid the city's going to fall and that Shard is going to turn it into a pirate base. So Captain Teva decides to go to Coruscant himself to request permission to intercede and help Navarro because he believes any sort of message is going to get lost since they're so backed up with everything right now in Coruscant. So at this point, the scene moves to Captain Teva arriving on Coruscant, and he requests to see Colonel Tuttle. And in that same room, the camera pans over and we see Elia Kane, who was that lady who fucked over Dr. Pershing a couple episodes ago. Now, Captain Carson Tava is speaking to Colonel Tuttle and shows him the message from Grief Karga that we just went over, and then that's when Elia Kane comes into the room. And Colonel Tuttle asks Elia Kane about Navarro, and she tells him that they aren't a member planet of the New Republic. So at that point, Colonel Tuttle tells Captain Teva that other member planets have priority before they be able to get to this one. So Captain Teva tells Tuttle that he heard Moff Gideon never made it to trial, 
and that stormtroopers have boots down in places, and now we have this pirate issue in Navarro, and he thinks it could all be connected, but Captain Tuttle thinks that it might be a bit of a stretch to assume all of it. From there, Captain Teva has this accusatory back and forth with Ellie Kane about her time working with the Empire, kind of a little bit of a, you know, snappy thing, like insinuating shit but not actually saying it, and, you know, obviously there's some level of animosity between the two, and Captain Teva, before he leaves the room, says... There's something dangerous happening out there. All these events, it's not a coincidence. And by the time it becomes big enough for you to act, it'll be too late. And as he walks out of the room, Elliot Kane has this angry look on her face. And at this point, the scene cuts back over to Navarro and Grief Karga, and he's leading his city's survivors to the outlying caves surrounding the city. And he promises them help is on the way, but the citizens aren't really believing him. They're like, where, where is the help coming from? You know, they're starting to have a... You know, these, these questions from their leadership in the times of turmoil. So, from there, the scene moves back over to Captain Teva, and he lands at the Mandalorian Covert. And at first, he's not welcome, and they don't know how he found them, and we find out, it turns out that the droid R5 served with Captain Teva in the Rebellion. So, Din Djarin cuts him a break, allows him to stick around for just a little bit here, since Captain Teva, again, helped him out with the Ice Spiders back in Season 2. So, he decides to repay that favor... And Captain Teva gives Mando the hollow message and tells the Mandalorians that Navarro is under siege by pirates and that Karga is asking for help. So Captain Teva tells Din Djarin that the New Republic needs to know that the Empire is growing again. He gives Mando the message and tells him that his friend, Grief Karga, is in danger. Then, then he just leaves and decides to leave him with that knowledge. And whatever they decide to do from there, you know, if they decide to ignore it, that's going to be blood on their hands potentially. So from here, Din Djarin pitches an intervention to the other Mandalorians to ask them to help save Navarro. At this point, Paz Vizsla comes in and he makes this big speech. And this is the epitome of that meme where he's like, they had us in the first half, not going to lie. Because he starts like making the speech sound as if he's going to convince the rest of the Mandalorians not to help and not engage in the fight. But about halfway through the speech, he turns it and he's like, and why would we do that? Why would we help them? Because we're Mandalorians and that's what we do. And he goes through and then talks about how Bo-Katan and Din Djarin helped him when his child was taken. So he, he helps rally the troops and now they're ready for battle. So Bo-Katan gives them a little battle plan and we hit hyperspace and we're about to land at Navarro. And that's where the scene cuts to what's currently happening on Navarro. And it's sad because the pirates have overrun this nice city that they've built. And they're abusing these citizens and they're just like, it's just fully overran with these pirates. It's, you know... It's almost went back in time. You know, it was a shitty planet before when this series started. They made it a nice planet, and now it's backtracking. So at this point, uh, they end up hitting the atmosphere of Navarro, and Din Djarin smacks Gorian Shard's ship, and Gorian Shard gives chase to Din Djarin. And Grief Karga comes over the intercom and thanks Mando for coming to help. And Mando tells him he decided to take him up on the offer for the tract of land that Grief Karga promised him a few episodes ago. Like, hey, if you want to be a lawman down here, you're going to settle down. But, uh, you know, we're going to kind of go in and see what that looks like going forward. In any event, Grief Karga says, Be careful, my friend. They've got you outnumbered 10 to 1. And Din Djarin says, I like those odds. And Grief Karga says, I bet you do. And then with that, the Corsair successfully distracted Bo-Katan does drop the first team down on the city and they start whooping some powered ass then she drops team two on the other side of the city and they're looking to kind of pin them in from both sides you know it's kind of kind of a good battle plan here but at this point Gorian Shard gives a command 
for the pirates giving chase to Mando to regroup at the Corsair as they realize Mando's a decoy for that secondary attack. And then the Mandalorians on the ground in the city fall into an ambush and they're boxed in and things are looking rough until Paz Vizsla comes in with his fucking machine gun blaster and just starts mowing these pirates down. Rhyme me a fucking Rambo. It's fucking school. It's fucking cool. And so things are starting to look positive for the Mandalorians on the ground until the pirates at the top of this building structure have a cannon blaster and starts giving the Mandalorians issues. And Paz Vizsla even takes a solid hit right in the chest plate from it. And at that point, the scene cuts back to the aerial fighting. And the snub fighters are attacking Bo-Katan's ship. But Din Djarin quickly takes out two. Then one of them, the one where he hits, hits Gordian Shard's ship, and one of the engines goes down, and we learn that Gordian Shard's shields are failing on that ship. C moves back to the fighters on the ground, and the pirates shooting the cannon. The cannon is pinning these Mandalorians down, and there's one after another blasting blast, and they've really got nowhere to go, and the pirates are starting to advance. But then we see the armor sneak up behind. She ended up climbing up that building from the back. And we start to see her in action and why she's respected the way she is. She takes out five of these fuckers. And then the sixth one is the one on the cannon. And she knocks that dude right off the side of the building. And uh, now there's no more threat from the cannon blaster from above. Paz Vizsla gives them all clear to advance. And the pirates start to retreat out of the city. But Grief Karga and the citizens block their way. And the Mandalorians land behind them, closing these pirates in. And the pirates surrender on the ground. Now in the air... We learn that the pirates are down to their last snub fighter and their last engine. And that last snub fighter is the pirate Vane from a couple episodes ago who was the lead dickhead kind of arguing back and forth with Grief Karga. Uh, you know, he's, I would say he was the first in command to Gorian Shard. The Gorian Shard's obviously the overall captain here, but he's probably like the first lieutenant. But Vane takes off to save himself. And Gorian Shard like, calls him a coward. He goes on his way. But anyways, Gorian Shard's shipman advises him to retreat. But Gorian Shards ain't having that shit. So he takes control of the Corsair and just starts raining blasts down on the civilians above as opposed to fighting Din Djarin and Bo-Katan in the air. He's like, fuck it. Like, if I, we're going to lose, we're taking out as many citizens, we're just going to be a menace, right? And from here, Din Djarin tells Bo-Katan to focus fire on Gorian Shard's last engine. And after a few shots, Gorian Shard's ship comes down in a fiery explosion and it crashes into the ground. Now, one thing that I, me and Chase always say here is we never saw Gorion Shard's body, so who knows if he's really gone or not. All we do know is ship's fucked. That's what we do know for sure. <laughs> but in any event, the citizens of Navarro cheer, and they thank the Mandalorians for their help. Grief Karga gives all the land from the western lava flats to Bullet Canyon to all the Mandalorians. So they now have a place to call home, even though it might not be their home planet. And everyone's kind of excited about this. You know, they're getting back to a semblance of normal old Mandalorian save them. Yay. At this point, Paz Vizsla tells Bo-Katan that the armorer wishes to speak with her. So they go down, they, take, they, they go to see the armorer, and the armorer shows Bo-Katan the old forge of their covert. Tells Bo-Katan that she's been to the great forge on Mandalore. And Bo-Katan tells the armorer that she remembers the forge very well, the great forge on Mandalore. At this point, the armor tells Bo-Katan about the differences of the forges, but how the forges still serve the same purpose, then tells her to remove her helmet. But Bo-Katan is hesitant because she thinks that they may banish her. She just, you know, the whole point and the reason there was all fucking annoyed in the first place is because some Mandalorians take their helmets off. These ones are very strict to the, the creed, and, you know, she's like, what the heck? But, you know, the armor asks, hey, well, do you respect my station? And... Bo-Katan says she does, so she removes her helmet. And the armor basically tells her that 
all the Mandalorians need to come together, all the different factions, and that um, that she may be the one to kind of lead them together. So the actual quote here, in the dialogue between that, well, from the armorer says, "I was taught that the Mythosaur existed only in legends, and yet you saw it. It is a sign that the next age is upon us. Mandalore must all come together. You have walked both worlds. You are the one who can unite us." So at this point, the armorer goes to where the rest of the Mandalorians are gathered. She is walking with Bo-Katan, who still has her helmet off. The armorer tells them that Bo-Katan is going off to bring the other Mandalorians who are in exile back with her, so they may all join together again. At this point, Paz Vizsla says, but she shows her face. To which the armorer replies, Bo-Katan walks both worlds, and she can bring all tribes together. It is time to retake Mandalore. And you think that that might be the end of the episode, but it's not. The scene cuts to Captain Teva, and he's flying a ship in space. He comes across a, a ship in ruin here. It's just kind of in orbit. You can see it's been kind of unmanned. There's like a hole in it. And he reports to Lieutenant Reed. He tells Lieutenant Reed that he found a derelict Lambda shuttle, and that the hull was breached, and it shows evidence of being attacked. So he asks for a report in the area. And Lieutenant Reed says that there are reports of a missing craft in the region, but that the details are classified. So Captain Teva has R7, the droid with him, launch a probe. And we find that the ship is a New Republic prison transport. And they realize that the flight times match the ship that was transporting Moff Gideon. So Captain Teva was right. Moff Gideon escaped and never made it to trial. But during the scan of the ship, the scanner found fragments of Beskar embedded in the ship wall. And Lieutenant Reed says, What are you saying? Moff Gideon was taken by Mandalorians? And the episode ends. And that is how it comes to a conclusion there for Season 3, Episode 5 of The Mandalorian. Chase, give me your takeaways on the episode as a whole, some of the things that you thought, uh, some positive negatives. Just go ahead and, and give me the whole shebang here. I thought it was badass, man. It was one of my uh, favorite episodes of this season so far. You kind of had the whole, you know, you had uh, Din Djarin and Bo-Katan playing Sheriff on Coruscant there. There we well, go. It was on Navarro, but those. it's fine. Or Navarro. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah, on Navarro. Anyways, my bad. But yeah, uh, getting rid of, uh, you know, Pirate's Life to be... Or pirate's life for me, or whatever they say. Anyways, uh, what's his name? Gorgon something? The Gorgon guy. Gorian Shard. Gorian Shard. Yeah, man. I mean, I gotta agree with you, though. I think we haven't seen the last of him yet. Otherwise, that would have been a very short-lived peak for him. <laughs> so, but uh, it was badass. I love the battle. I thought that was really cool. And it really uh, brings up some interesting questions on uh, who the real antagonist is going to be going into the future of this series here. So, uh, But it was good stuff, man. I, I loved every minute of it. I was kind of on the fence about whether or not like people just deciding, uh, the armor just deciding, like, Bo-Katan, you're going to unite everybody. But it brings up some interesting questions, so I really like this episode a lot. I, I, I liked it. I thought it was really good. I'd probably give it uh, B plus, B plus. Like, it wasn't, like, perfect. I don't think anything's perfect, but it was good. I liked it. What about you? 
Yeah, we got questions about a few things in, in this one. Yeah, I think that you bring up a good point about uh, the armor just making some decisions from the clouds here. Uh, but yeah, I also thought that the episode as a whole was cool. It, it really, you know, it's it's funny because what we really try to do is we try to take these episodes one at a time. We don't normally watch ahead and then start reviewing these episodes on the podcast where we are like saying things with already knowledge of what happens. We try to do it in real time. So a few weeks ago, I had mentioned I, I believed that Moff Gideon had escaped, and it clear, turns out that I, w- I was correct uh, when this episode came about. So it's really cool. So you know, one of the debates that we had was, you know, well, let's say Moff Gideon was taken and he had his mind all scrambled or whatever what that would look like. Well, it never happened because he never ended up facing trial. He never ended up going through that. He's he's escaped. So he's as much as the menacing big bad villain as he's always been and who knows where the hell he is i thought it was really cool and i I really do love the way that the mandalorian pulls in characters from the past quite often so anyone you really see in season one like you're gonna get the majority of them here and there on different episodes uh like for the future too so we haven't seen captain teva since one of the first episodes of season two and he ends up playing a, a semi-big role in this episode. He tries to petition, you know, the, the lieutenant on Coruscant to send aid over to Navarro. Then you have Elliot Kane there, still trying to, to you know, she's doing she's doing some shady shit, man. She was trying to convince the captain, oh well, they're not a member planet, so uh, you know, we can't allocate those resources. She really wants, like, so the point is, and Captain Tava says. A really makes a really good point of how all these things can be connected. You know, stormtroopers with boots on the ground, the pirates taking over Navarro, Moff Gideon not making it to trial. So, you know, and he like I, I just love that quote that that he read, and I'm gonna paraphrase. I'm gonna go back and look at it, but along the lines of you know, by the time you this is all big enough for you to act, it's gonna be too late because you're not fucking taking this seriously. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I, I really enjoyed that from from Captain Tava there. Um. Yeah, Gorian Shard reminded me a lot of old Greg. I don't know if you guys remember old Greg or not, but <laughs> I'm old Greg. <laughs> he kind of looked like that. It was really interesting. And not sure what level of role he's going to play. I know that we talked about it uh, a few weeks ago about how potentially could be a um, General Grievous-type General Grievous villain where he's not like, the main bad guy, but just enough to annoy you every once in a while. You know, like uh, Jesse and James and Team Rocket just pulling up along the side of the way. <laughs> like, you know, it's like, get the hell out of my way, Gorian Shard. Just bothering me and shit. <laughs> like, but uh, now, and that we go into it, we start seeing some cool action. The Mandalorians all agree to help out on Navarro. And, you know, they're still getting something out of it. They're getting a big plot of land where they can kind of have a home base and they're not stuck in the caves. And, and that was part of the whole speech that Manda was given the other Mandalorians was like, hey, guys, we don't need to, you know, we'd be, we don't have to, like, sh- hide in the shadows anymore. Like, let's, like, you know, be proud of who we are, come to the light. Like, this is, like, let's all, let's all be, like, ourselves and be proud of it, you know? Let's not, the, the, like, the war, well, not the war is over, but, you know, what made them go into exile and have to go into survival mode was the Empire destroying their planet, Moff Gideon specifically, and a lot of stuff you know, went down and they had to kind of secretly form and that's why they had such a problem with Captain Tava figuring out where their secret hideout was because they're like, dude, now we gotta kill this guy because they're not supposed to know where the hell we hide but now they're like, hey, let's not hide at all let's just have our own little civilization here 
And, of course, at the end, this is where we get to the point with the armor that she's telling them that it's time for them to retake Mandalore. So it looks like the real plan is, you know, well, well maybe we're going to gain strength here. We're going to bring all the factions and all the Mandalorians all together. And then they're going to maybe go back and try to fix their home planet in a way. Maybe that's what the, the main plan is. And then maybe Navarro is just a temporary spot for them to stay and that, that provides them some level of safety they've got a great relationship with the high magistrate there it's an independent planet so you know the new republic and whatever's left of the remnants of the empire can't give them any shit so you know overall i thought it was a pretty good episode and i just had you yeah, obviously i've got questions about a few things and you know i'm, I'm sure you do as well uh yeah but i thought that the ba- the battle sequences were kind of cool the aerial fights that they have all those cool little maneuvers are flying around doing spins and shit they're blasting up all these <laughs> snub fighters and you know now that's another one too that that guy got away vain that lead pirate he's gonna he's gonna be an annoyance going forward too that's gonna keep coming in and out of of random things he even he, he just did disobeyed his direct order from his captain he's like fuck that i'm saving myself i ain't coming back here he had the survivor's mentality. He was not going to take... Uh, he's not going to sacrifice his life for shit. So Vane's out there in the solar system somewhere. And then we got this this ship that's been attacked. Uh, that's just sitting there in orbit. That was the one transporting Moff Gideon. And you see all the the bodies of the, the New Republic officers that are dead on that ship. And how Moff, there's no sign of Moff Gideon's uh, body... In the fact that there's Beskar armor embedded into the ship, you know, something smells a little funny here. But I did like this episode a lot. I think it it was good as a standalone episode, and it also played into the storyline of where this series is going as a whole too. So honestly, I, I really did enjoy this episode. One of the, one of the better ones that I, I've seen of this season so far for season three. So that is my takeaways and some of the things that I thought of. Now let's go ahead and talk a little bit about some of the debates or maybe some open-ended questions, just uh, you know, open for discussion here. What are some of the things that you want to discuss or some of the debates that you have specifically in regards to this episode? Yeah, uh, and you know what Gorian Shard reminds me of? Kind of like the bad guy that's in like Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Man's Chest, or at World's End, the second and third one. It looks like an octopus kind of thing, <laughs> but he's like cursed. But uh, first debate I have for the day is: so out of all the Mandalorian, why is it the armorer randomly decided to select Bo-Katan to be the one to unite all the Mandalore when Din Djarin owns the dark saber, and according to their lore, he's the one that's you know, the leader of the, the owner of the Darksaber in this current time is supposed to bring them sort of together. And she's already removed her helmet and that's not their way. Like, are we just pulling this out of our ass and just we wanted someone to do that? And we feel like, or is it because like she sees like she's royalty? Why did they decided to, in the words of Jay Nelly here, decide to pull things out of the clouds? Well, that's not my biggest question with, with that whole situation. And we'll get into mine in a little bit. But to answer that one, I think that's pretty pretty simple. Is that 
Bo-Katan already had a level of camaraderie and leadership with the other faction of Mandalorians. They respected her and they followed her and they don't want to you know, follow the rules of the old way or the way of you know, the, the, the original creed and how it was you know, meant to be followed at, at its core. So in my opinion, the reason why the armorer chose Bo-Katan is because she's now been redeemed and she's been with this covert for however long right we don't we don't really get an idea of how long people are in certain places for we've got no idea how long grogu was with luke skywalker we've got no idea how long you know one episode could be months we've got no idea but bo katan coming and joining the covert of the mandalorians who long who knows how long she's been with this covert for regardless she's obviously proven herself time and time again with the battle plans for this episode and saving paz Vizsla's child previous episode so for me, it's uh, Bo-Katan's earned a level of trust from both sides. I think the people in the covert, the Mandalorians in the covert, now respect her. And, obviously, she had her own group previous that also didn't necessarily follow the strict rules of the Creed. And they also removed their helmets. And that will kind of go more into next week's episode when we talk more about them. So, I just think that it, it made sense from a standpoint of, well, let's let's use the argument that you want Din Djarin to be the guy who leads everyone. I don't think that Din Djarin's going to be able to go over to these other Mandalorians that have no helmet on and don't give a fuck about the way that the Creed is uh, was originated, and they're just out there doing their own thing. I don't think they're going to give Mando that respect, Din Djarin that respect of wanting to follow him. You know, I think... They'd be like, well, we don't give a shit, dude. <laughs> like they kind of already did. They kind of already did when last season when they first met him. They're they're like, oh, he's like you know, what are the children of the Watch? He's one of them. So they already kind of have a, a preconceived notion of Dinjar and and him trying to bring them back. I don't think would really, uh, I don't think it would go over well. So, Pokatan, I believe she has a level of a relationship with both sides and that's why at the end of this episode the armor says Bo-Katan walks both worlds so it makes the most sense that she would be the one that could unite them all and that's what they need to do to retake the planet Mandalore and to kind of bring them all together because there's not very many Mandalorian I would say from I didn't do a count so if I'm wrong here it's, it's not because I, I did this and I'm sure that I'm right but just when Din Djarin was having that discussion with the Mandalorians about potentially interceding and helping Navarro there may have been 20. There may have been 20 Mandalorians there. Tops. That's not a lot. You know, there's not many of them left. And so who knows how many Mandalorians are, are out there So that, that, that don't necessarily follow the creed to the, to the letter and to the T the way the, these children of the Watch do. So, you know, if we've got to bring them all together to have uh, a community again, 20 is not enough. You know, that 20 Mandalorian can be killed fairly easily. I don't want to say fairly easily. Obviously, they put up a good fight. But we saw what happened to their whole planet when the Empire was at full strength. It wiped them all out, almost like extincted their entire race, you know? I don't, I don't know, that's necessarily saying Mandalorians are a race because anyone can take up the creed. Like Grogu and these little raptor babies apparently can do, <laughs> can become Mandalorians or whatever. <laughs> but that's beside the point. That could be a question for a later time, honestly. <laughs> but in, in any event, I think it, it, it's pretty self-explanatory of why Bo-Katan was chosen. That that's at least my opinion on that. She's just the one that has respect from both sides, and they realize that they're going to need to all come together if they're going to survive as as a uh, group of people. So 
that that's my thoughts on it. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I just accepted it for what it was. I guess it's because like she's royalty. <laughs> I guess really is kind of why. I mean, I guess that's more tradition. So they needed someone to do it because based on what you were saying, you know, there was only so many there, and how can you really, you know, based on how, you know, they kind of want to, you know branch out i guess like how can you really do that unless you don't have someone that has connections uh throughout so i guess that's why uh my second debate i would have is we know moff gideon's escaped do we think he is going to be the big bad in the future of this series like maybe not necessarily this season but do we think he's going to make this big bad turnaround do you think we have he has people on the inside do you think he's working with the pirates and gory and shard or do you think uh you know like some of the people that are on the planet that are working on the inside do you think he has people on the inside like what do you think his role is as an antagonist going forward i'm gonna switch this up a little bit and i want you to answer your own question first i want you to i want you to give your thoughts on what you think about that my thought is I think he does have people on the inside. Like we we know that girl used to work for Moff Gideon, but she said she's not in that anymore. Uh, I mean, and we know that doctor from before he was having experiments with clones and stuff. So maybe he's making like a clone army. I don't know. I know he's escaped. So I do feel like he is the big bad of this series because we've seen him from season one to season two. Now we're hearing about him again. I don't feel like he is, like, supposed to be... I don't think there's going to be enough build-up for him to be really the big big bad of, like, this season, right? But I think down the road, he is going to be the one that everyone goes up against, like, in, like, the final battle or something. But there's got to be more ties into it. I feel like Gorian Shard definitely could have ties to him, which is why he was on in that area in the first place and maybe we don't know about it yet uh maybe the pirates are the ones that help break him out and we just don't know about it i mean i don't know that's just kind of my thoughts but i do feel like he does have people working on the inside and how this is all kind of connecting together i it's got to be from one guy because we keep hearing this one person's name over and over and over so clearly moff gideon has a shitload to do with it is what I would guess. So what's your thoughts? I think it, it's, to me, it's pretty clear that he's the primary antagonist of the Mandalorian series. And I believe right now he's biding his time until they get back to a level of strength that would allow them to compete with the New Republic. Because the New Republic, they're... They're in scramble mode right now. They're trying to clean up stuff. They're trying to chase out any remnants of the Empire. They're not an established order yet. They're not. They're not established. It, it's very much like right, the very um, what do you, what do you, I would call it when the American Revolution first ended, and you know we, we you know got Britain out of here. There was still a bunch of stuff that we had to do to to kind of come together as a nation. We had to come. We had to put together. 
Uh, obviously, we put together the concert. We had to put the Constitution together. Uh, we had to put together a Bill of Rights. We had to put amendments in, and we had to figure out how we're going to run this country. We had to <laughs> we had to figure out are we going to have a king? Are we going to have like a democratic leader? Are we going to uh, you know vote this person in? How do we like do this? So they, my point being is there was a lot that went into right after the American Revolution before we became solidified and established as a nation. And I think that's exactly where the new republic is right now is that they're in scramble mode of like how do we go forward so yes we've we've pretty much defeated the the enemy at this point but now we've got to establish that this is the new way going forward how do we do that how do we get other people in line how do we get other planets in line how do like you know how do we become a, a new entity and go forward as uh, you know without the evil that we've had to deal with now my point to this is that I think that they're biding their time until they become formidable enough. I'm talking about Moff Gideon and his minion and henchmen are, are biding their time until they come, become formidable enough to attack when it's too confusing for the New Republic. They're not established yet. So I think they're going to wait till they're strong enough to really fuck with them. And that's where I think it leads into. And right now they're just slowly building it up. You know, we had the pirate attack on Navarro. We hear from Captain Teva that there were stormtroopers in another location that boots down. You know, obviously Moff Gideon's ship that was transporting him, the prison ship that was transporting him, uh, is destroyed. The people who were transporting him were dead. He's escaped. So I definitely think he's going to be the main antagonist, and it's going to be small things that build up until they make their final reappearance for their second surge of... You know, the the menacery that they're gonna they're gonna uh, put put together in an attack on on the new republic. And I think they want to kind of have infiltration in the new republic so it crumbles from the inside. Very similar to I don't want to say very similar, but it kind of gives uh, vibes of when you know Chancellor Palpatine at the time was he was speaking at the the whole area and you thought he was a good guy, but really he was corrupting that shit from the inside. So I think it's gonna be similar to that. Like, like you when you have Elliot Kane. And that, then you have the doctor who's probably going to be impressionable after having his mind fucked with. And then, you know, we know Moff Gideon's escaped. And we've got these pirates in places. So, yeah, I believe it's definitely all connected. I think Captain Table has a great point. And I, Captain Table really kind of gave us that foreshadowed warning that by the time this becomes big enough for you all to act, it's going to be too late. I think that's a perfect foreshadow that was said in this exact episode that this is, this is what's going to happen. And, and I can see it happening just like that, you know? So that's that's what I, I think about when we talk about Moff Gideon. I, I don't necessarily I just don't know who else would be the primary antagonist. That doesn't make sense for anyone else to, to become it. No one else is strong enough. So I think he's got his henchmen and his minions on the inside, and, and it makes sense too uh, from why pirates would attack Navarro. Because remember, this is where Mando and Moff Gideon had their first interaction their first battle against each other with ig11 that helped self-destruct and get them out of there and then you had that space or then i'm sorry i'm sorry that aerial fight between dinjarin and emoff gideon emoff gideon like fell to the ground and then that's where we see towards the end of season one where he cuts himself out of his own ship with the dark saber and we're like holy shit there's a dark saber you know what i mean so uh, that's why that gives the ties back to navarro because that all happened on that one and we know that because ig11 was the central focal point of the new navarro earlier this uh season for season three of the Mandalorian, so yeah, dude, I think it all makes sense. It all connects it in too many ways for it to be anyone else other than Moff Gideon. I just think he's biding his time, building the strength, and uh, he's going to come back with a vengeance. Do you think he's going to build like attempt to build like a? It's going to do 
have anything to do with like a clone army since that doctor had like a past with cloning cloning like how do you think that doctor comes into play with moff gideon since you're thinking it's all connected well i think it's going to be more i don't think it's going to be a clone army if you're thinking almost as if it's episode two of the prequels and it's the clone troopers i don't necessarily think it's going to be like that i think the genetic cloning is what's going to happen is we're going to create we're going to try to create this ultimate being because that was what the doctor was saying how you can take the the, all, the the optimum strands of this person's DNA and this thing's DNA and this thing's DNA, you can mold it together so it's like the optimal whatever. So I, I think that's what's going to be more so the case is that now that's all connected. If I'm going to make an educated guess, and again, could be wrong, and I'll sit here with egg on my face if I am wrong in a couple of years when this all comes together. But what I think is going to end up happening <laughs> is that Elliot Kane is going to infiltrate her way into the doctor's head and and somehow convince the doctor that it was a new republic that made her do that to him and made her uh, uh, set him up. And then how he, he was trapped in that little uh, mind-flaying thing. I don't want to say mind-flaying. I don't know what the heck you call it. But the mind-scrambling machine. And even though she's the one that turned it up to the full max because the new republic officials say, oh, no, it's, just gonna, it's not going to be uh, painful at all. It'll be just a little like sensation of uncomfortability, but you're going to be completely fine. It's going to take some time. And the New Republic's trying to do the right things here. And that's why she's like, oh, he's still my friend. I want to sit here. And when that guy left, she cranked that bitch up to like all the way thing. Like that, <laughs> that thing glowed red into his mind. So I think she's going to try to convince him that the New Republic is doing this stuff and turn him against the New Republic, go back to his roots of genetic engineering. I think he's going to finally make a breakthrough in his, in his uh, studies or in his experiments. And we're going to finally get a, a genetically modified creature that, but obviously if you want me, if you put a gun to my head and ask me what I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be Emperor Snoke, right? I think we're, like, we're going to see the creation of Snoke and it's going to come through this genetic engineering of the strands of DNA from all these optimal things and that's what's going to make him so big and powerful because we need we needed some sort of backstory on Snoke anyways because what yeah. the damn sequels did like, we don't fucking know <laughs> that the guy was in there for 10 seconds dude like you know what I mean and somehow he was able to get Kylo Ren to, to turn to the dark side and follow every, all of his commands so we got to figure out you know how this guy came to power and all that. We we got nothing from the sequels. The sequels were just like they were they were so <laughs> battling each other. The movies were battling themselves that you know we never got a cohesive idea of where the storyline was supposed to go from the beginning with these two directors changing it up on each other. You know, so that's what I think. I think, and then I think we might have that whole deal where the what you create comes back to destroy you. So what I really think is I think Moff Gideon ends up getting defeated and killed because they're going to bring Snoke to existence, Emperor Snoke to existence, and it's going to end up, yeah, I think Snoke's going to end up being the one to take out Moff Gideon, and now he's the, because the, I think Moff Gideon wants to be the, the supreme antagonist and like the, the head honcho, but because you created this thing with all the optimal DNA strands and you created the ultimate being, it's, it's, it's very similar to like if we want to use Dragon Ball Z reference when uh, Dr. Zero created the androids 
and the androids killed him because they were too powerful. I think that's exactly what's going to happen here. Emperor Snoke's going to kill Moff Gideon because he's too powerful. Like, what he created is going to come back to kill him. So that's what I think is really going to happen. This is my, again, my predictions on it. So, hey, man, I, like I said, I'm willing to be wrong and have egg in my face. But if I'm right, y'all motherfuckers better give me my props because I said this today. <laughs> All right, I said this today. It's going to be on log here. So uh, who knows, man? I don't know. But that, that's my thoughts on it. Dude, hell yeah, man. Um, I, 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 I really think that was a really interesting full circle take you had there. And I, who knows? I mean, maybe then they can say the Palpatine we actually saw was just really a clone that was there. Like, I feel like the series would end, like, you saw maybe a glimpse of, like, the Palpatine in the Bacta tank. I'd <laughs> be sick, though, man. But, yeah, what debates did you have for the day? Yeah, my debates are... Who the hell gave the armor this, like, ability to just decide, you know what, I know I've been saying that you can't take your helmet off and we're going to follow this word nonstop for, like, the whole entire series. And I even almost banished one of our primary guys here. But you know what? You know what, Bo-Katan? Go ahead and take that helmet off. I think we're good now. I think we're good. Like, like at what point do we just allow this woman to make these rules out of the clear blue sky? They just It's almost like the Mandalorians follow her blindly. Not the Mandalorians, but at least the children of the Watch follow her blindly. Because you know, she even asks Bo-Katan, do you respect my station? She's like, well, I do. And she's like, all right, well, take off your helmet. But what the hell? So, like, you're going to allow this, but not even three episodes ago, you know, whatever, five episodes ago when we move into season three of The Mandalorian, I should say. Like, Mando had to go to the Living Waters to redeem himself for taking his helmet off, and now you're walking in the open with a Mandalorian that has her helmet off? I don't know, man. That shit doesn't make any sense to me. I know that you've got to switch things up to, uh, you know, bring the other Mandalorians in and have them all come together. But there was no, there was almost, there was no debate about it. There was no question. There was no like congregation where they discuss, hey guys, should we maybe move away from like following this to the T and, and think about possible? It was like no. The armor just said, hey, she walks both worlds and that's that. And they're all like, all right, cool. Like I just like, dude, what the hell, man? Who is this armor where she's got like this uh, uh, ultimate decision making ability for the faction, the children of the Watch? What, what the hell is this? It makes no sense to me. I, I gotta entirely agree with you because I thought it was dumb as hell. Like, she's the armor or whatever. Like, I kind of looked at her like I thought she was, like, the person that tells them this is the way. Like, it's her way or the fucking highway, man. And clearly so now. Because, like, they were all criticizing Bo-Katan and Din Djarin for removing their helmets earlier. Now, out of nowhere, like, keep in mind, like, Besides her family being royalty at this point, what leverage does she really have? I felt like the armory person just walked out and was like, and it's you, and, and you can do this. Like, just randomly, like, look to the right and look to the left and was like, well, I don't want it to be Din Djarin, so I guess it's gotta be you, man. I guess it's gotta be you, so... You're gonna unite us now, like like they ran out of people and like didn't know what to fucking do. I don't know, man. I thought it was dumb as hell. That's the one part of this episode I thought was fucking stupid. Um, maybe the only thing I can think of is because of that whole mythosaur thing, like because she mentioned the mythosaur. Like now she thinks like she's stuck on this is the person now because you mentioned that and no one else has mentioned that. And the Mythosaur is like this legendary being. So maybe that's why. Do you think it has something to do with the Mythosaur? 
Well, I've got no questions on why they chose Bo-Katan. That wasn't my question at all. Like, I know why they chose Bo-Katan. That makes the most sense. You know, she's like the the middle ground of everything. And on top of that, she had ruled in Mandalore for a little bit. Her family did. My question is, like, who gives the armor this all fucking decisive-making power? Like, why does the armor get to decide when? Like, why does the armor get to decide who can take their helmet off, who can't, when you can, when you can't. Like, you know what I mean? That's that's my thing, is that where did she get this all, this om, omnipotent and, and omniscient ability to just decide for the whole creed that this is what we're doing? Like I said, if all Mandalorians are somewhat equal and, and you guys all follow a, a code together, you would think there's some sort of, like, deliberation. They come together, they discuss it as a unit, as a collective group. But no, she goes out there and she's like, Hey, this is what we're doing now. Bo-Katan's going to go get the other Mandalorian because I said so. Y'all cool with that? Great. Like, you know what I mean? That's That was my, my issue. I don't care that they picked Bo-Katan because I can understand that. Everything makes sense of why you pick Bo-Katan over anyone else. I that I have no problem with. The problem I have is like, why did this girl get this all-encompassing all power? Like, Who put her in charge to where whatever she says goes? You know, does she have some sort of mythical connection to the old ancestors of Mandalore? Where that, that's just like, hey, whatever she says goes. Like, dude, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I'm, that's my biggest problem is that, like, why the fuck does she get to decide everything? You know, there should have been some level of, like, voting or something. They all should have came together. Like, hey, if you if you think that we need all these other Mandalorians to come together, like, raise your hand. And if you think we should stick with how we've been, raise your other hand. Like, you know what I mean? Like, some sort of uh, ability, like, some deliberation here. Let's have a congregation. Let's talk this out. Let's present, like, the both sides here and, and kind of come to a pros and cons list and, and make a vote. And whatever vote stands, that's what we go with. But no, dude, she's like, she's like, all right. You can take your helmet off now. I know I almost commun- excommunicated Din Djarin for this and never allowed him back because I didn't even know if the living waters were still there or not. But now, you know what? I'm changing my mind. We can take the helmets off. You're good. Like, you can go find your friends. Bring them back. Let's all come together. Like, who the hell is this person to where, like, we're just accepting this, man? Uh, I mean, I guess they kind of looked at it like the armor. That's why I was mentioning last episode. Like, I want to know more about... What makes the armor the armor? <laughs> like, how do you get to that point? Like, they kind of seem like the king or the president. Like, they're making all the rules here. Being tricksy and false. <laughs> like, they're coming up with all the rules and then they're breaking the rules. <laughs> so, I don't know, man. It doesn't make any sense to me. I just feels like, you know, whatever the armor person says goes. Like, I feel like she could walk in there with a hammer start pounding on some fucking metal and says this is fiberglass now we're no longer using iron you're all gonna wear fiberglass helmets then they would all take their fucking helmets off and put on the fiberglass and that's just the way the cookie would crumble (laughs) like i don't know man it doesn't make any sense so we gotta get at some point some sort of backstory into like the armor. If anyone out there knows, please do tell. Cause, like, I mean, clearly, I guess they have some sort of military combat skill or some sort of political influence or something got them to that point. Just like even Jedi, you know, you train in the Jedi Temple or you. You know, Anakin was Obi-Wan trained him and Qui-Gon trained Obi-Wan. You got to have something going on, man, that, that like put them in that position. They didn't just fucking 
pick someone up off the beach. Even that little kid with Grogu was playing the darts game. So something's got to be going on, man. I don't know. I don't understand it. That's the one piece where I was like, dude, like this person just makes up their own fucking rules. I, I don't know, man. I don't have an answer for it. And then on top of that, dude, let's say at the end of this, everything ends all peacefully. The Mandalorians are together on this planet and Bo-Katan is the leader and, you know, she's the one controlling everything. Well, when, what's the armorer's role going to be then? Like, is she going to still be able to make any rules? No, she's not. Like, so what gives her the op- like the ability to do it now, dude? Like, I don't know, man. It, it's just a little bit weird. But anyways, my second debate is regarding the ship that was transporting Moff Gideon and, and how they found uh, Beskar armor embedded into the ship. What do you think that's about? What do you think, you know, uh, with, with Moff Gideon here, and they ask if Moff Gideon's been taken by the Mandalorians, what are your thoughts on that? With the armor embedded in the ship, my only thoughts are, I mean, I don't know. He could, honestly, like, here's like a thought in this, you might be like, where the fuck did that come from? But he could have Mandalore working for him on the inside. I mean, you never know. I mean, look at the way... um, I mean, I don't want to get into anything next episode, but, I mean, there's a lot of Mandalorian out there, and he could be working for him. Um, I I don't know. I mean, that's just the thought I have, is the direct thought I have is he's got people on the inside pretty much everywhere, which kind of makes him this big bad going on, and... Clearly, I mean, imagine that, too. Down the road, and they get there to try to take him on again, and you gotta fight a whole fucking another army of Mandalore. Like, how do you know that Mandalorian army is not better than what you already have anyways? I mean, Din Djarin, Djarin's good, and, uh, like, tactically, and so is Bo-Katan, but you go combine Mandalore with, like, fucking people of the empire and shit like i mean it, there's only so much you can take man so i mean i think they're fucked <laughs> i don't know what's your thoughts <laughs> i think my thoughts are it's a complete setup i think that they're gonna get to the point where uh the, they want the new republic to think that the mandalorians were involved with moff gideon's escape and that they're holding Moff Gideon. So now we've got this animosity between the New Republic and the Mandalorians. Like now they're gonna butt heads because the Republic's like, "Hey, give us our fucking prisoner." And the Mandalorians are like, "Dude, we don't have him." And they're like, "We saw your armor in that fucking ship, so yes, you do have him." And they're gonna be like, "Get the fuck out of our face!" And it's gonna cause this big old fucking problem. I think it's a, a complete setup to distract from the fact that Moff Gideon's free and that he's operating again. And it's to pin it on the Mandalorians. And that's what's going to end up happening, in my opinion, is that the Mandalorians are going to have a sort of conflict with the New Republic. And with them having the conflict with the Mandalorians, that's going to allow Moff Gideon to continue to rise and build that strength back. That's my thoughts on it. Any other questions or just any other sort of like uh, things that you either noticed or stuff that could come into play in the future that, you know, are worth detailing before we close up? No, I'm good. I'm good. I I mean, it's interesting where it's going to play out. Clearly, Moff Gideon is going to be like that big bad of the future. Um, I mean, it's interesting to see, though, how this is going to wrap up this season and if it leaves off on a cliffhanger for uh, season four into the future. The one thing I will say and that I'm curious on 
is the role that the planet Navarro is going to play as it pertains to the Mandalorians using that as a home base. So I'm curious as to, you know, are the, is is Navarro going to end up becoming into like the New Republic's crossfires now, and and you know could be the Empire, the remnants of the Empire as well too, because they're an independent planet. Now we could potentially have animosity between the New Republic and the Mandalorians. The Mandalorians are now staying on Navarro. So do we think Navarro is going to end up getting in the crossfires of like, like all sorts of sides here, like the Mandalorians, the remnants of the Empire, the New Republic, and then just Navarro's kind of like, shit, what do we do here? Like, what do we think the role is there? Because obviously I, I think we're all in agreement that eventually the Mandalorians want to go back and retake their planet Mandalore and clean that up get that all functional again and, and kind of build their civilization back on their home planet. So I don't think Navarro is the long-term home solution. But in the meantime, while they're calling Navarro a home, what do we think that does for Navarro and you know where we're at with the potential conflict between the New Republic, the potential of the remnants of the Empire coming in with all these like pirate ships and stuff that was already attacking Navarro, and the Mandalorians staying there? You know, are we, are we going to have like Navarro have to take the Mandalorian side? Are they is Navarro going to end up having to kick the Mandalorians out because it's causing too much problems for the planet? What are your thoughts on that? I mean, uh, I mean, I guess they're going to continue to expand out. Is my thoughts on it? I mean, clearly there's going to be people that don't accept the Mandalore for the way their culture is. So I mean. I guess you're going to always have conflict wherever they expand to. So I don't know. I don't really have an answer for that. I mean, I guess we'll have to see how far they expand. But right now, there's only so many of them, too. It's not like they really make up a whole population. Like you were saying, there's, what, 20 on that beach? And then, I mean, I don't want to get into spoilers later, but, I mean, we'll see kind of what happens. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I guess they're just kind of gonna always be a conflict but that brings up another question like i mean i don't think the i mean the mandalore have been fine like all the way up through this time right i mean no one's really had a major problem with them until now moff gideon has a has this big threat that's been kind of occurring through the past like seasons but before like when you know you go back to like the originals like even like Django Fett if he was like a Mandalore or Bubba Fett right we know he was I mean they kind of were just like their own like rogue agents like they never really had problems with people they were kind of even used as like mercenaries at one point with Jabba Jabba the Hutt and stuff so I don't know I don't know what conflicts are going to arise but I think there will be people that won't accept the way their culture is which will cause conflicts as they continue to expand and try to make their own sovereign society yeah i i, I don't i think that most of the citizens probably are going to accept them just fine because if it wasn't for the mandalorians their ass would have been grasped from the pirates i'm more so like wondering if there's gonna be pressure put on from these other factions that are still in existence like i said the remnants of the empire or the new republic because i do believe that the New Republic and the Mandalorians are going to start having some friction, especially now that the New Republic is going to 
wonder if the Mandalorians have something to do with either holding Moff Gideon hostage on their own to bring him to justice, or if they helped Moff Gideon escape. I think those are going to be some of the questions that the New Republic has. And because of that, and then honestly, in my personal opinion, I think it's a setup. I don't think the Mandalorians had anything to do with it. But... You know, the, the, the New Republic with that evidence might believe so, and then all of a sudden there's going to start being some friction between the New Republic and the Mandalorians, and then obviously the remnants of the Empire are going to come in and cause their problems. My thing is, like, do we ever think that it gets to this point where Navarro is going to be kind of caught in the middle of all this, and basically, because right now they're an independent planet, right? They're independent, they've got no ties to the New Republic, they've got no ties to the remnants of the Empire, they're their own thing. But now that they're going to almost, in my opinion, they might become under a microscope. They were on the outer rim. No one paid any attention to them. Remember that uh, Colonel Tuttle didn't even know where Navarro was. Like He asked Elia Kane uh, like last week about where this this uh, planet is. So now do we think it's going to come under a microscope and the New Republic is going to almost try to flex its new expansion and be like, hey, like the Mandalorians may have taken that. You guys are harboring the Mandalorians now. You're an enemy of the New Republic if you don't give them up or if you don't join the, you know, if you don't become a member planet. So like that's like kind of my question is that what do we think that this does for the planet of Navarro as a whole with this new looming conflict between the New Republic and the Mandalorians? I mean, I, I mean, I guess it's going to be like justified. <laughs> I mean, either they're going to get along or they're not. I guess. I mean, they're kind of forced into this situation where, I mean, that's their new planet now. I mean, that's, you know, they uh, are forced already to kind of relocate, right? So, um, I mean, I guess they're just going to have to get used to it. I mean, I think you're going to have these little conflicts breaking it out. and Maybe that's kind of how you get... Well, my, my question is more so for the planet of Navarro, not for the Mandalorians. My, planet, like, my question is, like, what is going to happen with the planet of Navarro here that's going to be caught in the middle of everything? Are they going to have to kick the Mandalorians out, even though they gave them sanctuary and gave them like, that little plot of land because they helped him? Or like, are they going to stick by the Mandalorians and all of a sudden now Navarro's got to fight alongside the Mandalorians against maybe the New Republic or maybe the remnants of the Empire? That's my question, is about the planet Navarro. Like, what's going to happen here now that there's potentially an, a conflict brewing between the New Republic and the Mandalorians. Like, what does this mean for the planet Navarro specifically? I mean, I think they're just going to stick by him. I mean, they saved their planet. There wouldn't be one to begin with. It would be overrun. So I guess it's just going to fucking sit there. <laughs> and then they're, they're just going to stay there. That's my direct answer to that. I mean, like I said, there might be some conflicts on the inside, but overall they're going to stick by them. I don't think they'll kick them out because there wouldn't be a planet anyways they'd be overrun by pirate ships yeah that'd be the hope but i just want to just wonder if like they'd have so much pressure and only being one planet and the new republic you know, having a chain of planets if it would just be too much for them to try to resist and they, like i wonder if maybe at some point like grief cargo is gonna be like listen guys like we thank you so much for your help in getting us back here but like we honestly we might not have a planet going further if we could get to this big issue where they're attacking you all and we're just kind of caught in the middle so i don't know if it's going to get to that point where they kind of got to consider kicking the mandalorians out uh you know who knows if that gets to that point so i i don't know that those are just some thoughts to, like, to take away to chew on for a little bit as the as the series progresses i just I really do think that there's, there's going to be some animosity between the New Republic and the Mandalorians because the New Republic's going to believe that the Mandalorians had something to do with Moff Gideon either escaping or them 
doing justice on their own end and just taking him and, and making them face Mandalorian justice. So I, even though that might not be the case, and it's probably not the case, and that's why I believe it's a setup, I do think that there's going to be some issues with the New Republic and the Mandalorians and that Navarro might be caught in the middle and that you know we, we might end up having to be like, hey guys, it was great, we thank you so much, but y'all got to go because we're going to get fucked. <laughs> could be, could be, you never know. I mean... Who knows? I don't know. I don't have an answer for it. I mean, I don't think they're going to kick him out. I mean, Grief Karga, I mean, he's pretty much stuck by Mando this entire time. I mean, I don't, yeah. I mean, I don't think he would, I mean, if anything, he would probably promote Mando to be, like, sheriff of the town, justified again. I mean, I think they'd all die trying, is my opinion, but I mean, I don't know. Yeah decent thoughts on it but uh, yeah that, that's all that i had for for this episode here did you have any other closing thoughts here before we close out for this one no man i'm good i'll let you close this out sounds like a plan brother all right guys if this is your first time tuning in to us we really do hope you enjoy what you heard it's been an absolute pleasure bringing it to you we hope you stick around and if you have been here from the very beginning uh thank you so much for continuing to be the shields that guard the realms of fantasy in terms of the podcast specifically and where you can find us to follow along, you know, click like, subscribe, leave comments and all of that. We are on every social media site you can think of. We are on uh, Instagram at official ridiculous Patronus. We're on TikTok at ridiculous Patronus. We have a backup Instagram at fact underscore or underscore fantasy. We've got backup TikTok at fact underscore or underscore fantasy. Facebook fan page, Chasing Josh Factor Fantasy. We have a Twitter, RP Factor Fantasy. We have our own site, RidiculousPatronus.blogspot.com. Got a YouTube channel, Ridiculous Patronus. We're out there, guys, so please leave us all the reviews, all the comments. We really enjoy the engagement from the audience. And in terms of where you can find it specifically to tune in every week, every Sunday, we are, if you are an Apple user, we are on Apple Podcasts. If you are a, an Android user, we are on Google Play, we're on Spotify, we're on iHeartRadio, we're on our host site, Podbean. We're, wherever you get your podcasts, Chase and Josh, Factor Fantasy are there. But we're out for the day, and this has been another ridiculous production. Chase and Josh, Factor Fantasy, signing, signing off. off.